colic, reflux, baby acne, air infections, oh my. There are so many ailments you hear about babies experiencing within their first year and many times beyond that. It can be so daunting and overwhelming, especially when as a parent or caregiver, your baby is in the midst of experiencing one or more of these ailments. We want our children to be healthy and strong, but sometimes it can be tough to identify the root cause along with vetting your sources. Well, guess what? There's an extensive manual to help with this investigative work, which offers holistic remedies on many of these common ailments. And for this episode, we sat down with the creator of this manual. She's a holistic pediatrician, best-selling author, mother of three, and award-winning speaker, Dr. Anna Maria Temple. In this discussion, we chat about some holistic solutions for common baby ailments, including the most common issues during a baby's first year of life. We cover an extensive list of these common issues, such as colic, reflux, baby acne, cradle cap, air infections, as well as the cough, fever, and cold. If you're a first-time parent within your first year, this episode is definitely for you. This episode will also be helpful for parents who may just need a refresher or are still looking for alternative remedies to consider past your baby's first year. Let's jump right in. Welcome to The Momologist, a mom's best resource, where we take Mama Knows Best to a whole new level. The Momologist podcast uncovers information and advice straight from the experts. From innovative theories to controversial claims, and even the familiar hot topics, we're here to put a magnifying glass on it all by interviewing industry leaders and specialists in their field. I'm your host, Sasha Culpepper, a parenting podcaster and digital creator, mommy of two little boys, and a complete mom nerd. For more information about The Momologist, visit our website at theofficialmomologist.com. Welcome to The Momologist, everyone. We are joined today by Dr. Anna Maria Temple, holistic pediatrician based here in Charlotte, North Carolina, actually. Dr. Anna Maria, welcome. I'm so excited to be here. Yes, and I am absolutely excited to have you. I was pleasantly surprised when I found out you were here in the Queen City. So I think it's always wonderful when I can also myself identify wonderful experts right in my backyard, um, because that is also a wonderful resource to the people in Charlotte, the Charlotte area as well. So welcome. I'm very excited to discuss all the various topics we will be covering today. I know this will be a wonderful resource for anyone with a baby, particularly within their first one to two years. So I'm excited to get started on this. But before we jump in, Dr. Anna Maria, can you please give us a little bit of background on how you came into medicine and at what point you shifted your focus to the holistic side? Yeah, absolutely. I've wanted to be a pediatrician since I was five years old. And that sounds really crazy to a lot of people. They're like, what? And, you know, my husband actually was the one who was like, let's dig in. Let's unpack that. How did you like five? Well, it turns out that I lived in Romania. So I was born in 1973 and I was born in Romania, communist Romania. And my Mm -hmm. sister was is two years younger and she struggled with tons of stomach issues, tons of belly issues. My mom was going to doctors with her all the time. Mm. She got diagnosed with celiac disease. And that these days is not that big of a deal. But in communist Romania, where we didn't even have food, Mm. it was very 
daunting to talk about gluten-free and a food allergy in 1976. Can you imagine that? And so I just remember my mom holding her at night and crying with her, trying to do all these foods. Of course, my sister didn't want to eat anything. And so she would like hold the food in the side of her cheek. And then when she would go to bed, she would like spit it out in the night. I can't. It was And I think it was really at that time when I was playing with my dolls, I subconsciously developed this passion for helping kids because my passion has always been prevention. I just don't even want to see kids suffering. I There's just no reason that our children are plagued by disease. So I think that's really kind of, it was that in my background all the time that this beautiful, sweet, angel-looking girl is suffering so much and her mama is suffering and then the whole family suffering. So that's kind of how it got ingrained in my head. And then my family in 1984 emigrated from communist Romania to the U.S. And one of the reasons was like, oh my God, we're just going to be a doctor. You can't be a doctor in Romania. We got to go to America so we can have all the opportunities. And we came here. Fast forward to 1991, undergrad, 95 was medical school. Anyway, so I did medical school and I ended up in pediatrics. And in 2007, I was already in practice for five years. I had three beautiful children. And all three of them were plagued by chronic disease, wow. uh, chronic constipation on Miralax, um, asthma, allergies, eczema, recurrent sinus infection, ADHD, seasonal allergies that my little could not even go outside for an Easter egg hunt because his eyes would swell shut, tears would stream down his face, and oh. his body was covered in hives. Oh and gosh. it was that helpless feeling that I had as a doctor. I couldn't help them. So I took them to the doctor one day, this three ring circus I had going on. And I was like, hey, so what's happening here? Why are all three of my children on chronic meds? They were two, four, and six. And I didn't really enjoy the answer because for my daughter, they're like, well, you know, for her constipation, we'll use daily Miralax. For her recurrent asthma, we'll use inhaled steroids. For her eczema, topical steroids. For her allergies, we'll do Zyrtec wow. or Claritin. And then she'll outgrow her recurrent croup and her recurrent ear infections. And then, you know, oh, the little one, I'm sorry, but we've run out of meds. Wow. We've run out of meds. We've run out of meds because he's already on five medications. There's just nothing else that we can do. The only next option is allergy shots. He was two years old. And then by the time we got to my middle one, who was like plagued by snot, like the kind of boogers, like you can't even imagine a kid going to school these days or like at Mm -hmm. an airport with the amount of snot he had. Uh You know, by the time we got to him and his ADHD, I, I stopped paying attention. And, you know, when I walked out of that doctor's office that day, I didn't feel heard. And my mama warrior like took over. You know, when the mama warrior wakes up and she's like, what? Oh, yes. What's happening? Wait, what we're saying here is that for the rest of our, this children's lives, their story is that they're going to be on daily medicines for the rest of their lives. Under no circumstances is this going to be the rest of their story. And my mama's warrior self looked at my mama doctor self and was like, what you got, girl? And mm. mama doctor <laughs> was like, I got nothing. I don't, I don't know. I literally don't know what we're going to do next. And so the mama warrior is like, no big deal. Because I've arrived. This is not the end of the story. I, I don't know it. what we're going to do, but we're going to do something different because whatever we're doing is not working. So it was a week later that I was at my children's elementary school 
where nutritionists went to give a talk. And I walked in and I was like, I know what I'm doing. I'm a pediatrician. I know about nutrition, but whatever. I'm just going to show up to support the school. Let me tell you something. It was 7.30 on a Tuesday morning in that first grade classroom where I was freezing my tushy off in one of those tiny chairs Mm -hmm. when the fog lifted and I clearly saw the root cause of my children's chronic disease. All the lady talked about was sugar. And I realized how much sugar was really in my children's diet. So on that Tuesday night after work, 7.30, came in, win my stilettos, walked into the pantry, and to the horror of my husband, who was really upset, and the children who were horrified, I walked in and I got rid of the Lucky Charms, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, Pop-Tarts, Toaster Strudels, Chicken Nuggets, Juice Boxes, Chocolate Milks, you name a garbage. Mm. We were eating it. But we were my kids had strawberries at lunch and broccoli at dinner. So I felt like I was given balanced meals. I did not realize the impact of food coloring, processing of the foods, the amount of sugar, and out they went. I'll tell you, at that point is when I became an outcast in my family, amongst my friends, and amongst my colleagues. Because they were like, what What are you doing? Food is food. Like, what is happening? And I was like, I don't know where all the research is because it was circa, circa 2007. So right. you know, Google wasn't at the <laughs> right, level that right. it is today. And uh, so I was like, I can't be wrong to get rid of food coloring and, and chemicals in the children's food and add more fruits and vegetables. Well, you know, and the mama warrior is at work and people try to stand in her way and she don't care. And I was like, I'm just, I kept moving forward despite all the obstacles, despite all the naysayers. And then my children stopped needing antibiotics, stopped needing steroids. They came off their chronic medications. My little one never needed allergy shots. And he came off his allergy medicines one by one, year by year. And my ADHD kid never needed ADHD medicine. And my asthma and eczema kid got better. And by 2016, we quit our jobs. We moved to New Zealand. We had no health care, no doctors, no medications, no prescriptions. And I realized what it's like to come back from chronic disease. My children climbed the highest mountains and bungee jumped from the tallest bridges without any issues, any medications. And they, to this day, are my greatest medical accomplishment. When I came wow. back to the States in 2018, I don't want to do it the same way again. Mm-hmm. So I changed the way I practice medicine and I started treating. Well, actually in New Zealand, I was already starting to treat because they don't have malpractice insurance. I mean, they don't have the malpractice issue. They don't have, mm-hmm. uh, you know, patient satisfaction surveys. You just practice medicine. And wow. I realized that when I talk food, nutrition and lifestyle, 90% of my patients got better. So here we are. That's why we've been talking over the past well, now many years of how to treat, raise healthy kids in this unhealthy world with less medications. That is an amazing backstory. I mean, obviously, in going through those trials and tribulations that you did with your kids, it was, I'm sure, an extremely hard time. But what an amazing comeback story for them. And to see that they are living their full lives and thriving. Um, And it's absolutely crazy. And I'm sure it will be for some to hear this, that to hear that sugar was at the root of all of those issues that you were going through through, with all of your children. Um, 
and that you were able to get them off of all those meds. And I think that is why I'm so excited um, to have this conversation because we are all going through various issues with our children. And you spoke about mom warrior. And I think we all tap into that at some point or another. Um, and I think that's what makes the momologist so special because we, we want to be that resource for moms when they go into that warrior mode, right? When they go into that investigative mode to feel empowered and to have that community and to, to realize it's okay to ask questions. It's okay to do research. It's okay to to get a second opinion and to continue searching until you feel like you have turned over every stone. Um, that is what we do as moms. This is a form of nurturing. And don't let you don't want to let anyone tell you otherwise, right? The stop overthinking thing for moms, it just doesn't work. <laughs> this is our job. We need to think about the things that others don't. And that's exactly what you did. And obviously, in having this experience and this shift in your practice as a holistic um, practitioner, holistic pediatrician, you have developed some amazing resources, uh, Dr. Anna Maria, and one of them being the Holistic Baby Manual, a parent's guide. And I wish I had this um, my within my first couple years of having kids. Um, I will say we were able to get tapped in because of the amount of research that I personally did. We were able to get tapped into various experts. But wow, your guide literally covers, I would like to say all, if not most of the things that um, most parents will you know, may encounter rather within their first couple years in raising their babies and raising their children. So let's delve into that a little bit. Um, but before we actually go too far, I'd like us to start with the definition of holistic. Can you give us uh, just a basic definition of what we mean when we say holistic? Oh, yes, I would love to, because I do think that there's a misconception on what that means. So mm -hmm. holistic medicine is looking at the problem and evaluating not just the organ, but evaluating the whole body, the whole child, the whole family, their whole community, their whole environment. In traditional medicine, if somebody has eczema, for example, we're focusing on the skin and we're like this, we're focusing on this organ that that we can see it in front of us. In holistic medicine, we're like, well, the skin is a problem. But is that the only problem? Because if the skin is looking this inflamed, there's got to be inflammation somewhere else. What's the brain looking like? What about the lungs? What about what's in the blood work? What's in the gut? What is going on in the rest of the body? Because when one of the pitfalls of treating just an organ, we'll just use eczema, for example, and just putting a steroid cream on eczema, well, we're not treating the root cause. We're just looking at this one organ and we're putting Band-Aids. And we're then looking at these powerful medications to stop the immune system from working because we're only focusing on the skin. When you start opening your mind and you're like, hold on a second, but there's issues in the gut. What's going on with their diet? What's going on with their digestion? Are they pooping every day? Are they absorbing the food? Wait a minute. Is there stress in the family? Hold on a second. Has the family lost their jobs? How have they been, have they been affected by COVID? What about the whole, what about the grandparents? Are the grandparents bringing in a lot of food that are sugary and are stressing out the parents? What's going on at school? What is going on in their culture? Where maybe culturally that they need to eat the specific foods or the family has grown in a 
specific way. And now we have even bigger barriers to break, but just, but again, it becomes a big undertaking in yes. looking at the child in a holistic manner rather than just focusing on the organ. Hmm. That is, I love that. And you know what? It can sound overwhelming to some, but here's the reality. Our lives are complicated. We have so many different um, angles, so many different perspectives, so many different um, just ways that our bodies are can be effective, affected, I'm sorry, and also so many ways that our bodies can thrive. And we need to figure out where all of those sources are coming from, as you mentioned. So it really comes down to looking at the bigger picture. And I think that's something I just, I love about the holistic side of things. You're, you're not just zoning in on the issue. As you mentioned, you're looking at what that root cause is. You're looking at, you're, you're considering all the various angles. You mentioned grandparents. I know that can be, oh my gosh, that can be a very hot topic, um, or a hot point rather for many parents. Um, especially if you have grandparents looking after children, um, which is very common these days. You want to make sure that everyone is on board and you want to make sure that you know what everyone is feeding your children, what everyone's practices are, things along those lines. So really, you really do need to look at the big picture. And especially if you're in that investigative mode, you always want to make sure you consider angle all angles. So I'm really glad that you outlined that for us. Um, what are some things that you feel that parents often overlook or may not be aware of from a holistic standpoint that can assist children with getting with getting children on the right foot as far as recovery goes one of the big things that i see as a mistake they're looking for the one thing and so in the eczema example they're looking for what is the one thing mm -hmm. that led them to have eczema because if i remove that one thing mm -hmm. then we're going to be better. What is the one thing that caused their asthma? What's the one thing that caused their ADHD? Mm -hmm. It is never, just like you alluded earlier, it is never the one thing. It is the human body and the human environment is very complex. It's like a giant puzzle piece. And you need all the pieces in order to figure it out. And when we hyper-focus on the one thing, mm -hmm. we miss the big picture. So let's say people oftentimes they go, well, you know, my child's issue with eczema is because there's pollen. And they'll be, you know, as long as they don't go outside and as long as we get through the pollen season, they're fine. And they only have eczema, you know, from March until June and then they're mm -hmm. fine. So we don't need to do anything else. I'm like, uh, it's not normal to mm -hmm. have eczema when you go play outside. Mm -hmm. And wait a minute, why is the pollen a problem? Because if pollen was the problem, then all of us should walk outside and be breaking out in eczema from head to toe. True, true. When we're seeing that the pollen is triggering them or the cat is triggering them or whatever, then we go, wait a minute, wait a minute. Something deeper is going on. The child is full of inflammation because every human body is like a cup. And then our cup of inflammation is at various levels and it gets inflamed from antibiotics, processed foods, heavy metals in our environment, toxic cleaners, stress, mm -hmm. um, and so on. And so as the cup gets fuller and fuller, all of a sudden you go outside, you see pollen and the cup overflows. And in some people we see eczema or in some people we give them red food dye and then overflows. And now mm. we see ADHD symptoms or, you know, insert the rest of it. So that Again, when we go, oh, well, we'll I'll just take the red dye out. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, no, we got to go a little deeper. Like, why is that happening? Why mm -hmm. is that happening? And so I say that's probably one of the things, focusing on the one thing. Because when we open our mind to 
it's going to be a lot of things, not to the point where, because that's the other problem. Then you can become, go down rabbit holes and then you never sleep again because then you're on mm. Google for, you know, 20 hours a day. Yes, you definitely want to be able to climb back out of those. <laughs> right. And so we got to put in perspective. So we're going to like narrow it down. We're going to look at, we got to start with basics. A lot of times we're like down this rabbit hole. People are like, and it's mold. And now we all have mold. And especially when we live in Charlotte, oh my gosh, like yes. so much mold in Charlotte, right? Because we're just a moldy environment. But people are like, oh, it's mold. So they go down this rabbit hole. I'm like, what? Wait, wait, back it up, back it up. What are we eating for breakfast? I always go back to the beginning. I'm like, what are we having for breakfast? What are we eating for lunch? What are the snacks like? What is dinner? How much water are we drinking? Are we sleeping? What is your stress like? Are you spending time with your children? Are your children's love buckets full? Mm. One of the things that happens with a lot of behavior things in children, my ADHD kids, my anxiety kids, the oppositional kids, the parents are like, ah, just fix this one. I'm like, eh, mm, mm. it's actually fixing the whole family. Yeah. And they're like, no, whoa, the family's it's an good. Equation, like, no, right? Yeah. No, no, no. Holistic. We got to look at the whole thing. So I would say that's probably a big downfall thinking, looking for the one thing and expecting that you just find that one thing, you remove it and you're good to go. Hmm. Yes. And then, and as you mentioned, I'm sure those parents walk through your office door thinking they're focusing on the child and, and then they realize, wait, we're focusing on the entire family, the entire unit and how we all function, how we eat. Um, and as you mentioned, even something as, as well, not simple, but something you might not think about is the love bucket, right? Making sure their buckets are filled, making sure everyone is get being fulfilled in one way or the other. Okay, so you touched on red food dye, and I know we're going to have a lot of first-time parents obviously listening to this, and I know a lot of listeners are probably like, wait, what? What What about red food dye? What about antibiotics? Um, can you tell us what the dangers are um, in regards to those two? Right. Well, you know, in ancient times, this famous guy, Hippocrates, said, let food be thy medicine, mm. let medicine be thy food. And, you know, we take the Hippocratic Oath when we graduate from med school. But I don't hear that in med school all the time. Let me, let food be thy medicine. Like, which is like, oh, no, let medicine be thy medicine. You know? And um, when we look at our kids, we have to realize that what we put in their bodies is, is how their body is going to manifest either wellness or sickness. And a lot of parents, because number one, it's hard. It's inconvenient because of their culture, because of how they were raised. They don't see food as being at the, the, um, what do I want to say? Foundation. Mm -hmm. Food is the foundation of how we should raise our children. Because for some reason, marketing has seeped into our brains and now it's going like, oh no, no, no. For kids to have fun, they have to eat sugar. For kids to have fun, they should go through fast food. For kids to have fun, you know, insert the other things. And I'm like, Wait, 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 wait. There's people in Africa and India and other countries that don't have access to the sugar, the fast food, mm -hmm. the iPads and whatever. And the kids are having a pretty awesome childhood. <laughs> right. We have created in our own mind, based on the marketing that is being fed to us, what vision of a happy childhood is. Another thing that happens is that parents go, well, they're screaming, they're angry. So when I give them a cookie or I give them a fruit or I give them a cracker, whatever, they're happy. So therefore, we should keep doing that because they're happy. We have this misconception that childhood should just, oh, children should always be happy. They should be so happy and they skip through the fields of poppies and they should never suffer and never feel anything. 
And then, then when they're like 25 years old and they move into our house and then they're miserable all the time, we're like, oh my gosh, how can they be miserable all the time? They haven't learned how to overcome the adversities of like, no, sometimes you got to watch what you're eating. Sometimes you got to not be on your iPad. Sometimes you, you have to go to sleep, even though you'd rather be watching Netflix. Anyway, so the parental, back to the food, parent mindset that whatever we feed our children is going to manifest in their wellness. A simple rule that we, every five-year-old can even do is if you can't read it, don't eat it, which then teaches our children and teaches our parents that instead of looking at the front of a box and believing what's on the front, which by the way, it's all marketing, never believe what's on the front of a box of a packaged food, always turn it around and read the ingredients. And when you read the ingredients, if you have to look an ingredient up or you can't even pronounce it, we're going to put that package back because that is not food. That is a chemical experiment. And that sounds rough. However, just remember the food industry is very tricky. Another rule that is simple. That's actually how my husband, when he came, you know, we, after we fought for food about food for five years, he came on board. And one of the things that he was like, that stuck in his head. If a package is more than five ingredients to put it back, because once you get past five ingredients, that's when preservatives, food coloring, and other things will enter a packaged food that we don't want in there. So mm. keeping it super simple, knowing that children are very sensitive to sugar. And again, some kids are like fine. And some kids, they have like a little teaspoon of sugar and they lose their mind. Um, one, another rule we can do is keep the added sugar to less than 24 grams a day. And this is now sounds daunting. It's not because all the packaged food as of 2022 has to have on their label add like a, a special line that says added sugars. And it gives you the grams of added sugars. Wow, and okay. what we're focusing on is keeping that added sugar to less than 24 grams a day. And for babies, so we're talking two years and under, our goal is zero added grams of sugar per day. The more sugar we give our babies, and they're tricky because they're in teethers, in baby biscuits, in baby foods, mm -hmm. like baby yogurt. Baby yogurt carries 10 grams of added sugar. And you're like, oh, but it says pediatrician recommended on this amazing yogurt that's this big with 10 grams of sugar. And the baby's taste buds develop sweetness and more sweetness. Let's back it up for a second. Breast milk is naturally sweet because it is evolutionary. Our taste buds, and like the sweet, they gravitate towards sweet and bitterness in the past, when we were hunters and gatherers in the forest, the taste buds prevent us from eating that when we would eat something really bitter, that told us that it's not a good fit for our body. Let's put that back. So we would gravitate towards sweeter things. So breast milk has a sweetness to it. If the mama consumes a lot of sugar, it's going to be even sweeter. And then we transition to baby foods. A lot of them have added sugar and juices and juice concentrate, which is added sugar. And then all of a sudden our toddlers are always like snack, 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 and they want pancakes and they want waffles and they want cereal and they want sugared cereal. And you're like, how did this happen? Because over time we kept giving without realizing how much sugar is hidden in our children's food. We meant well, 
They were from Whole Foods. We were trying to buy organic and lo and behold, we ended up giving our children piles of sugar and now they're craving sugar all the time. They're craving carbs. They're refusing vegetables. Vegetables by nature are going to, they don't have as much sugar as fruit, for example, or as bread. So vegetables to a lot of people are a little more bitter. And, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, well, you should just be able to eat broccoli. If you've never had broccoli, you're not going to like broccoli because our taste buds are made based on the foods we are exposed to. Mm. Wow. That, that is a lot of illumination there. Um, especially when you mentioned, um, that a mother's breast milk will be more sweet depending on how much sugar she has as well. I never realized that. So, wow. Um, that is something to consider, right? Especially when you're priming, um, you're priming your, your child's palate for all these other foods you're going to be introducing. And if you're trying to keep them off of the sugar, you need to be staying off the sugar too, right? Not just because you're breastfeeding, but you want to model that as well. I know that's a huge part in all of this. Huge. Children don't listen to what we say. They watch everything we do. Mm, Exactly. Exactly. So you were speaking about red food dye. What are the dangers of red food dye exactly? So all these food chemicals have not... The scary part is all these, the food colorings, they've never been tested in food, in children before they were put into food. And they were then given grandfather clause. So there's over 10,000 food chemicals that were grandfathered in going like, oh, well, we never saw any problems. So therefore it's fine. And so they were never tested. No clinical trials were done and they were put into children's food. And if there's like a, a food that says kids, it's usually laden with food coloring and sugar. And so again, these were not tested. And now we're seeing, so we have better food sources, right? They say we have more medicines. We have more medical advances. We're more testing. We have more access to Google, the internet, and our children are sicker than ever before. Mm -hmm. We have the highest rates of obesity, of ADHD, of autism, of eczema, of asthma, anxiety. Anxiety has reached astronomical proportions where several states have declared states of emergency because rates of anxiety have gone so high and the rates of 10-year-olds committing suicide has been, the numbers have become unacceptable. I mean, I don't know what numbers are acceptable, but the numbers are now Mm -hmm. unacceptable. And so our kids are sicker than before. Here's a new, I'm totally getting the red food dye. But we are going to be, me, me, I'm the first generation who is not going to outlive my parents. Wow. We're not living longer. We're dying longer. And chronic disease in adulthood begins in children. So you develop the, the little bits. So you do just a little red dye here and a little red dye there. It's no big deal. It's Halloween candy. It's no big deal. It's just cereal sometimes. It's no big deal. It's Easter candy. It's no big deal. It's a cupcake. This is what people say to me all the time. You're ridiculous. It's just a little and a little. I'm like the little and a little and a little add up to a lot. And it's like this continuous addition of food dyes and artificial food coloring that studies have now shown has increased eczema, asthma. ADHD, anxiety, behavioral problems, and even cancer. But we're still like, no, that's not, no, seriously. I'm like, okay, arsenic increases the rates of cancer. No one's eating arsenic, you know? I mean, for that point matter, okay, lead, let's eat a little lead. I mean, I'm like, lead, you're crazy. What are you talking about? I'm like, why are we saying okay to red food dye when the studies are coming up over and over again, how detrimental it is to our children? 
My favorite kids are the ones that eat a little red food diet and they lose their mind. And you're going to say, that's really weird. Mm -hmm. Those are my canaries because you can't fool that body. You get, you're like, oh, they'll be okay with a little few M&Ms. You're a weird doctor. And then the kid gets a little, some M&Ms, like three M&Ms and they lose their mind. And the parents are like, whoa, we can't do any food coloring for this kid. And I'm like, because the issue is the kids who don't show the symptoms right away. They have a little food coloring here, a little there, a little there. Six years later, they're anxiety ridden. Ten years later, they're on ADHD medicine. Now they're depressed. Now, and everyone's like, how did that happen? It's slowly, slowly, it adds up over time. The body keeps count of all the things that we do right. that are not good for it. I love that you outlined the fact that you know, you may have some children that are showing these side effects, but just because these other children are not outwardly, right, showing these side effects, it does not mean they're not being affected by it. And it does not mean they will not be affected by it in the future. And um, I think that is a huge takeaway, right? Because if you're seeing something affect someone in a negative manner, um, I think it's, I think our perspectives need to change, right? We need to think, okay, if this isn't, if they're not reacting very well to this artificial ingredient, it's not like it's something like broccoli, right? Or peanuts where they have an allergy. But if they're not reacting very well to this artificial ingredient, is it really good for anyone? So that's such a great point. And I love that she brought that up. So we're going to shift gears. I have, I, I want to ask more questions, but I know we got, we have to get to the, the meat of what we're, we're here to discuss the holistic baby manual and some of these ailments, right? Um, you describe your manual as a resource to cover baby ailments from A to Z. And like I said, this is an extensive, um, resource. We'll definitely be sure to link it in the show notes for our listeners. But what are three of the most common ailments? And I'm sure you touched on some already. But what are three of the more common ailments in the first year or two of life um, based on your experience? And what suggestions do you have for parents trying to help their children to overcome them? Yeah. And the number one, the, the reason we put the manual together, I have so many people like on Instagram asking me, you know, what about this? And do you have something for this? And do you have the other thing for that? And I can't, I'm a one person clinic and I can't see everybody. And I was like, oh my gosh, I was devastated that there's so many parents that just want other solutions than medications. So I was like, wait, I know they can't see me, but what if they have the manual with the things that we do in clinic? Like I write out exactly what we do in clinic. So if you were to see me, this is what I would recommend. And a lot of times when you Google stuff online, you're like, oh, how should I treat baby reflux? How do you know who to believe? Right. I'm like, well, do you believe a mom who's had a baby who had reflux? Do you believe a doctor? Do you believe a influencer? Do you believe, how, how do you know? Like, how do you vet the people that you believe? So exactly. I think that becomes really tricky. And I was like, wow, you know, to have a pediatrician that puts together things from herbals to essential oils, to chiropractic, to craniosacral, to all these other things, you're like, oh, okay, I have a stepwise plan for some of the issues. And I'll say the top three common issues. One, most people don't even know it's an issue, is baby constipation. Obviously, we have a lot of mamas who are breastfeeding, which is so amazing and fabulous. And one of the popular misconceptions out there is that nurse babies, it is okay if they poop once every seven days. Yes. When in fact, that's not okay. 
I used to say that. I used to recommend that. I used to be, my daughter, my firstborn pooped once every seven days. So interesting. She's the one that had the most ailments. My boys pooped. They still do all the time. No problems. And they had significantly less issues than my daughter who pooped once, once every seven days. And it's blown off. It's like, it's fine. No problem. The baby, the mama's breast milk and the baby's colon are all one. So then the baby just poops whatever they don't need to. I'm here to tell you that in children, in clinical practice, once I've realized the error of my ways and the importance of pooping every day, the children who are nursed and poop once every seven days, end up developing significant health issues even early on, like eczema, colic, reflux. And so we want to make sure that you were, you want to work with your provider and make sure, or use baby manual, that we're going to make sure that baby is pooping every day. So constipation is number one. Miralax is not our friend. Miralax is FDA approved for children 17 years and older. However, it's given prescribed to children as young as 18 months. Wow. The breakdown of Miralax, which by the way, I took for 25 years daily, didn't know. The breakdown of Miralax is propylene glycol, which is antifreeze. And that can be absorbed into children's bodies. Before, I'm not saying you never need Miralax. You might need it for a clean out. What I'm saying is we're not going to use that as our solution for Mm -hmm. a daily thing. Having to use Miralax is telling you we got to look deeper. What's going on? Because there's a lot of things with digestion, absorption, elimination, assimilation, all that stuff. So in the baby manual, I give you the things that you need to look for. We always begin with a diet and lifestyle modifications. And if that doesn't work, then we go to some supplements to help heal the gut. Second thing is reflux. So much reflux. What is reflux? How often does reflux happen? When should you be concerned? And of course, we want to avoid antacid medications because medications like Zantac have been associated with early fractures in children. Who's heard that? Actually, in the published in the medical literature, that is, you know, double blind placebo control, all the good stuff. So Zantac, the earlier that the child is given, the more likely they are to suffer fractures before 18 months of age. Also, repeated doses of Zantac lead to the development of eczema. And then, so in the manual, I talk about what dietary modifications mama's got to do, baby's got to do, you know, what, again, we're going to focus, make sure that we're pooping. And then, of course, I give you several options for supplements that we can do to regulate the gut so we can Instead of band-aiding it with Zantac, we can actually fix the problem to the root cause and then we can avoid long-term issues. And then probably the third thing that I would say um, for babies is going to be immunizations. Immunizations, no one can have a conversation about immunizations. You know, if you're pro, if you're anti, if you're in between, if you have no idea where you stand and you just want to have a conversation with a provider, you can. You can. You can't have a conversation because you go in and then it's either you get criticized or judged or that's just how we do it. Whether the, your provider is anti-vax or pro-vax, you just never get like, but wait a minute. So true. What, what, what do I do? Like, is this good? My kid's going to die? Like, are we all going to die? Like what, you know, are they going to be brain dead because they got a jab or are they like, 
what is happening and what is the science? Like, why are we doing immunizations? Why do babies get immunizations? Why don't we just wait until they're 20 and give immunizations? Like, and because the moment you ask a question in the traditional model, you're already labeled anti-vax and you're excused from the practice. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, I used to be one of those doctors. Full disclosure, just telling you how it is. And <laughs> I learned that that is not the right way to approach this. And, you know, in the manual, I actually discuss immunizations. I give you options on how to do immunizations and how to better navigate the world of immunizations with less stress. Because you can look out there and you can find pro, anti, in between. You could, most of my parents come so confused, like we don't even know. Like, you know, what, what, which ones do we believe? What studies do you believe? So anyway, I lay it down. I don't go into the studies. I just give you what you need to do. If you're interested in immunizations, if you're not, skip the chapter. If you're like, right. hey, but I want to do immunizations. I just don't want to do it, you know, in the way that the Western medicine is recommending. Are there other mm-hmm. options? That chapter is for you. Yes, I love that. And I've got to say, I was not expecting that to be number three. I thought maybe it might be eczema or, you know, something along those lines. But that is so true. Everyone is so scared to touch on immunizations and let me tell you, like when you're taking care of your children, you're taking care of your family, you've, you've got to ask those tough questions. And if you're labeled as that, you know, it is what it is. You have to make sure you find a provider. Um, this is a little bit of my momologist rant. Like you need to find providers that you trust, providers that are open to questions and that are not just working on getting to the next appointment. You are there, you're paying your money, your insurance company is paying money for you to be there, ask questions and make sure you are you are making the right decisions for your family. And I feel like there's been a very passive approach to that that has developed over the years that we've got to we have to we have to reexamine these appointments because it's not It's not get there and be told what to do. It's get there and be advised. Discuss research. You can ask questions about research. Doctors should be keeping up on research and find out the why behind everything. Um, So I, I love that you even touched on that. What a wonderful resource. People have questions. People want to know, do I need to give my baby, my one-year-old or my two-year-old all these shots within their first year back to back? Do I have any wiggle room? Is it going to be the end of the world if I space them out? There are some studies that might back, you know, them being able to be supported by a particular shot better at a certain age. Who knows? Um, what a wonderful resource for you to to offer that to them. So thank you for outlining that. I think that's that's going to be huge, a huge resource in itself within the manual. Um, let's touch on some other ailments that you address in it. And I'd love to just get a couple nuggets for our listeners to take away. I know there's so much information um, to back this, but just a couple nuggets for them to take away on some some of these ailments. You touched on colic. What can you tell us about colic? Oh, colic is, you know, it's very complicated. It's not the one thing. We have a lot of babies. It depends when the baby is born, if the baby's a little premature, if the baby, if the pregnancy was stressful, if the delivery was stressful, how is mama doing? What's mama's level of stress? What's mama's anxiety level? What's her postpartum like? You know, there's, it's very, it's because there is a very big emotional component to colic. Mm-hmm. Um, the children, because again, you know, in our practice, we call it like actually the fourth trimester. You know, these babies yes. are born and a lot of them just really need to be in the womb for like 
a couple more months <laughs> and they come out as they should, but you know, some of them need a little more time to, for their nervous system to mature. So there is a correlation to an immature nervous system. So they get e- easily irritated. And you know, when you have a baby, especially when you have like the third and the fourth and you're just like, we gots to go. Nobody got time for this. Right. So, yes. <laughs> um, and then you're like putting them in carpool and they're in a car seat and they're like, you know, at Target and all this stuff and they can't handle it. They're just like, oh my gosh, like, why is there so much noise? Why is everything happening? Why are there so many bright lights? So we have to go, okay, hold on a second. Let's look at life from that, from the perspective of a newborn. And as a busy mom, it's very hard. I'll speak for myself. I'm a busy, I'm a crazy person. I have like a thousand things going all the time. You know, it's, so my children are always like, whoa. So <laughs> it's like my household is always like, whoa, okay. So thankfully they didn't have colic, which is a surprise actually, but being aware that what your, what your environment is, I'm not suggesting we're at home and we don't make a noise and we shush around the baby. No, no, no. I'm just saying, what is your life like? Back to the holistic thing. What is your relationship like? How was your, how is your maternal mood? Also, are we nursing? Or are we um, bottle feeding? What is in our breast milk? What is in the bottle? Could there be a food sensitivity? Could it be an intolerance to dairy? Because an intolerance to dairy can be irritating to the human nervous system. And sometimes you go, well, how do I know if there's a dairy issue? I'm like, well, it is one of the most common irritants in the newborn period when the child, when the sure. babies have bust out with eczema all of a sudden or bust out with acne that is over the top or they have like horrible cradle cap, their belly's hurting, their refluxy, colicky. We know that dairy is one of the irritating things. So kind of looking at your diet and always please, if you're considering eliminating from your diet as a nursing mama, please talk to a nutritionist who can guide you along because elimination diets can be a slippery slope and I often treat mamas who are like eating lettuce because they've eliminated so many things. They're like, I'm afraid to eat anything. And I'm like, that's not good because now your breast milk is not nutritious. Now the baby's not getting nutrition. Why did you end up eliminating so many things? Because if elimination is not working, what else is going on? Is the baby pooping every day? How is their digestion? A lot of time it's a digestion issue. Nervous irritability comes from the gut. When our gut health is um, adversely affected, so in other words, our gut is not working right, or the bacteria in there is not the bacteria that should be in there because there maybe there was exposure to antibiotics during pregnancy or at birth, and those antibiotics have changed the um, micro uh, microbiome, so they change the balance of the good and bad bacteria. So now we have bacteria that shouldn't be there, and it could irritate the nervous system because the gut and the brain talk to each other. So we have to make sure we have an amazing gut microbiome balance so the brain can simmer down and be a little more chilled. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wow. Um, and so anyone that is listening to this that is that are having these issues as far as colic goes. I've heard some nightmare stories with moms going through colic, not getting, I mean, you don't get much sleep with newborns, but you really don't get as much sleep um, from what I understand with a colicky baby. It can be very, very stressful on parents and particularly moms. Um, You you gave some great nuggets on some items that you may want to consider. Um, so thank you for that. And we're going to just run down a couple other items on the list for um, 
anything else a couple a couple of our listeners or some of our listeners may be experiencing. You touched on baby acne and dairy being um, a culprit for that. Is there anything else our moms should consider who might be experiencing baby acne or even cradle cap? Um, so starting looking and seeing how severe it is. I mean, if, if the baby acne, it is normal for babies to have a little bit of acne within between two and six weeks old, because that's when mom's hormones are leaving the body. The baby has mm-hmm. to learn what their hormone balance is like. So we'll get some, some acne and we're not, this is not for those cases. Those are just mild okay. cases. And in mild cases, you can just put breast milk on the baby's face. I love breast milk. You can use it on anything. If you have pink eye, if the baby has pink eye, you, you can really use can. breast milk. You can, you have a diaper rash, boom, breast milk, you know, cradle cap, boom, breast milk. Um, so breast milk is amazing. And for mild acne, I don't even do anything. Mama can put some breast milk, but that's where we leave it. We're talking about when it's moderate, when you're like, wait, hold on a second. As in like, you can see it from across the room, shall we say. So the baby is like, you know, five feet away from you, 10 feet. And you're like, wow, I can see that across the room. That's the kind of acne we're talking about where probably there's inflammation going on inside the body. When I see a lot of like something like that or like tremendous amount of cradle cap where the the head is covered in scale and even maybe redness, then I'm like, wait a minute, that looks like a lot of inflammation that is coming in and we might, we need to dig deeper. So again, that's where I would go into the food. Let's see, are there any foods in the mom's diet or in the formula that the baby's eating? Cause remember a lot of formulas are dairy based. And then a lot of moms were like, but I am goat based. I'm like, well, right. But goat milk is still dairy and that can still adversely affect the babies. And so then we have to go on a broken down formula. And the only broken down formula that I recommend for mamas that are uh, supplementing with formula is hip hypoallergenic combiotic. Mm-hmm. It's not a commercial. This is just the only one that is, has very clean ingredients that is third party tested for heavy metals and it is broken down. And so that's the one that I will use whenever the babies can tolerate a dairy formulation. Be careful. The formulas that we have in the U.S., the first ingredient is corn syrup, drives me mad. And then we have all these other inflammatory oils in there. And, you know, of course, the big companies are like, there's no big deal. These are totally fine. I'm like, again, our children are sicker than before. I don't think that the children are fine. And then there's so many other formulas on the market that are coming up now. I mean, there's so many that have these beautiful and awesome ingredients. Mm-hmm. So it can be done. Just saying. Anyway, so watch your what's in your breast milk, what's in the formula, and then back to the digestion. We got to go back to the gut. In the manual for cradle cap, I have uh, several natural remedies that you can use as a shampoo base. One of them isn't even uses aqueous iodine, which I'm really pumped about, to help remove some of the yeast and bacteria that can sometimes populate the head. It can be used on the face as well. And that can decrease the bacteria count because it's not just about the inside. It's also about the outside. And also because I do integrative medicine, I even give you some more medicated shampoos that you can buy over the counter if my natural remedy options don't work. Let's move on to air infections. What um, holistic remedies or some good holistic golden nuggets can you give us to walk away with? ear infections. Yeah, that's also a hot topic, right? Because recurrent ear infections that we end up on antibiotics. I'll tell you, in my practice, I have 
several babies that we've battled ear infections and we haven't had to use antibiotics. I would say I use antibiotics in a very minority of kids because number one, 80% of ear infections get better without antibiotics. The AP even says 80% of ear infections get better without antibiotics. And in a practice where you can see your doctor, so if you see your doctor today and there's an ear infection, you can go back in two days from now with the various treatment options that were outlined and see what the ear is doing. No guessing game required. And a lot of times like, oh my God, but I got to take time off work and I have to go see the doctor again. I'm like, so we could not need antibiotics and then you don't have to miss, you know, many months of work because we've developed a chronic disease from these antibiotics. So it is putting the effort now so we don't have to deal with chronic disease later. Prevention is so much cheaper and it's so much more uh, easier to do than reversing chronic disease. So in ear infections, really discuss what your child's ears look like. If the, the ear is red, that's not an infection. It's just a red ear. You can have a red ear from being from screaming, from being angry and from having a fever. A lot of times doctors are like, you know, they're stressed out. The mom's stressed out. The mom's like, I need antibiotics. The doctor's like, you should get antibiotics. And then it's like, no one is talking to each other because we're just all upset. Um, and what are some remedies for ear infections? Number one, cranial sacral therapy is an unknown uh, way that you can get your child's ear infection resolved without antibiotics. It is a very gentle manipulation of the head and spine. It's not chiropractic. It's different. That helps open up the eustachian tubes, which are the canals behind the, your child's ears that connect to the back of the throat, help open the eustachian tubes, let the fluid drain. And then once the fluid drains, the infection's gone. There's a popular misconception that if you have ear infections in there, it's going to go to meningitis. It does not. And if you have an ear infection, it's going to go to mastoiditis, which is infection of the bone behind the tympanic membrane. It does not. The worst thing that happens is the tympanic membrane bursts and the pus comes out. Well, that's all right, because that's what tubes do. So when you put tubes in the tympanic membrane, that's a hole in the tympanic membrane for the pus to come out. So talking to your physician, for your provider, see if craniosacral therapy is good for you. Also discussing what things can we do for the nose, nasal passages to get that nose decongested because the more we decongest the nose, the more we're going to decongest the ears and we're going to get rid of the pus in our ears. And there's several nose sprays like Exlear that you can use in babies. You can even use um, saline with breast milk, back to breast milk, shooting breast milk up in the nose. Those are powerful probiotics, powerful immunoglobulins that get right to the issue for the baby so that it can fight what is trying to take over your child's ears. And wow. to prevent ear infections, daycare, unfortunately, is a big risk factor. Well, before that, smoking. Please, no smoking. No smoking. We still have to say that. No smoking. Smoking, even if you smoke outside, increases your child's risk of ear infections. Pacifiers. Sorry, Plasticky things, viruses love to live, love to live on plasticky things. So pacifiers are a huge risk factor for getting ear infections. We talked about daycare. Listen, you got to do what you got to do. So, um, we're not worried about that. And then, um, propping the bottle in bed. So when the baby's laying flat and we're doing a bottle, the laying down position, pushes fluid in the back of the throat and clogs up the eustachian tubes. So when you feed your baby a bottle, keep them in a reclined position and we never ever put children to bed 
with a bottle mm-hmm. ever. Um, the, then of course, and of course we have dairy because food allergies are also a big component to recurrent ear infection. Start with sugar, please. Everyone goes to dairy and they forget about the sugar. Make sure that your baby or your toddler's diet is zero added sugar per day. Watch the processed food and ingredients. Can't read it. Don't eat it. And then we're going to go to dairy. Wow. That, that had, you had so many nuggets just within that one. But the craniosacral therapy, I think, is a gift <laughs> to even share that. Um, I feel like a lot of times when younger children get on antibiotics, unfortunately, is with the air infections. When you discover these air infections, antibiotics is one of the first things prescribed. And I think also a wonderful takeaway that you mentioned that statistic on 80% of the air infections resolves itself. Um, on its own. I did not realize that myself, like with my first child and he, that is actually how he himself got on antibiotics. Just for that short amount of time, we actually saw some eczema flare up during that time. And we didn't, we we weren't on the antibiotics for very long, but we'd never had any eczema issues with him before that. And lo and behold, he started having like a little something behind his leg shortly after taking it. And after coming off of it, we had to we had to treat the eczema for a couple months or whatnot, but it just went away because we weren't, you know, taking those ongoing antibiotics. But I do think that completely threw his gut off as well. And it kind of just led to a, you know, one thing after the other um, with having now to rebalance his gut. So I think that is a huge takeaway for moms, um, any parent that is going through this air infection situation, because a lot of times that's when children are introduced. Otherwise, healthier children are introduced during that phase where they have air infections and it's like, okay, antibiotics. And it's so important, as you mentioned, for us to continue having that communication and realize, okay, there are some other options. So I love that you outlined those alternative options um, for our parents who may not want to go down the antibiotic route. Another thing that a lot of parents don't know is that when we looked at kids who started antibiotics for one ear infection, they're more likely to then require more antibiotics for more ear infections. Mm-hmm. They're more likely to end up at the ear, nose, and throat specialist office with two as compared to children who had an ear infection and were never given an antibiotic. So that's food for thought because how that really, because a lot of people are like, oh, it was just one round of antibiotics. It's not a big deal. It's always about the, it's not a big deal. It is a big deal. And it just kind of gives you even more fuel to stay um, strong and then come up with other ideas and look at what other options there are besides antibiotics for ear infections. Wow. Thank you for sharing that because if it's one thing that we love is research and hearing that, I think, as you mentioned, just really puts things into perspective. The last thing on my list um, was cough, fever, and cold. We know that's super common. What can you tell us, especially um, regarding fever in children? But let's cover cough, fever, and cold. Uh, yeah, so, well, that's a lot. So well, well, let's do fever. <laughs> so fever, um, fever is good for the body. Parents are afraid of fever because us doctors have created a fever phobia. You call in, they're like, oh my God, my child has 102 fever. Do you give them Tylenol? Do you give them Motrin? And instead of educating our parents, but fever's good. So when fever, I want to kind of share what, what happens when the body gets a fever. So the body sees a virus and the virus comes in with his 50 friends and a virus cannot live on his own, maybe on the counter for a couple hours, but that's it. 
It needs the human body to replicate. So it needs our human body as a photocopy machine. So virus guy and his 50 friends come into the body and use our body as a photocopying machine. As it's making copies of itself, the human body says, hold up, hold up, we don't like this, what is happening? So it raises the temperature of the body. When the body raises temperature, the photocopy machine stops and the virus can no longer replicate itself. Also, the human body then goes, I am hot, so I make more antibodies and my antibodies work faster and get to the invasion site quicker when I'm hot than when my temperature is normal. But because parents don't know that, they're like, mm, Tylenol Motrin. So then when we do Tylenol Motrin business, we lower the fever. Now we turn the photocopy machine back on. So now the virus replicates themselves to billions of particles. The immune system of the child is not working really well because it's not hot. So the immune system loves to work under heat. And now we have billions of particles and it's going to take us seven to 14 days to get over this virus as opposed to the two days when we allow the fever to do its job and let the body fight the virus as mother nature intended. Parents are afraid of fever. They think because you're letting the child have fever, they're going to brain damage. That is not true. In a neurological normal child, the body is not going to raise the temperature to a point where it's going to damage itself because that doesn't make any sense. Why would the body program itself to a lethal dose of fever? So the, the child is maybe hot, 104, 105.5, and we're all freaking out because we've heard of kids that had brain damage. Those kids had brain damage because they're neurologically not normal or they were in a hot car. When you're in a hot car, the external temp, the body can't cool itself down. It can't use its natural defenses. When you have fever, the body cools itself off when it needs to. However, in med school and in real life, we're not taught about the power of the human body and that, in fact, Mother Nature has figured this whole thing out. And mm. it, humans have, you know, lived for thousands of years without medications. And the problem is when we're always treating fever, with Tylenol especially, it increases your risk of eczema. Even in some kids, even a couple of doses. In the studies, they even show that in kids that were using Tylenol once a month had a 99% chance of developing eczema. Wow. So, you know, for my kids in fever, when we do fever, I usually, I don't even do natural cooling. I'm like, here's unlimited screen time, bone broth, water, mama love, as much love as they need to. And then I just feel so bad for them. They just want me go, oh, I'm so sorry you feel so bad. And they just want to be loved and they're fine. They are in the manual. I do have remedies to naturally cool down the body. But again, I don't want to cool down the body unless it's getting to a point where I'm getting a little nervous and they're not going to be able to sleep because I want them to sleep. That, so the times that I will do fever lowering treatments is they're not drinking, they don't wanna sleep, and they're beyond irritable and they can't relax. The human body, when it's under attack from a virus, does not wanna play. So a lot of parents are like, oh, well, they have 103 fever and they're not playing, so I'm gonna give them time. And I'm like, they're not supposed to be playing. Mm -hmm. They're supposed to be laying on the couch because the body's using all its energy to fight the virus. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for outlining that. Um, yeah, I have heard of, of dangers of Tylenol, um, you know, over the last couple of years. And I did not, what I did not hear about though, is it leading to eczema. So that is a, 
definitely something to to consider, especially if your child already has eczema, then we know they're already prone to developing it maybe even worse. Who knows? So definitely something to consider. Yeah. Well, you know, earlier you mentioned that your mamas do a lot of research, right? And so a lot of moms are like, what? Because I've looked at causes of eczema. I've never right. seen Tylenol. Me neither. Until I was like, hmm, does Tylenol cause eczema? And then thousands of hits. Then you go, I've never heard of Zantac or reflux medicine cause eczema. Me neither. And then you go, does Zantac cause eczema? Boom, thousands of hits. Because just remember, you think you're researching, but Google is researching right. for you. And it's telling you based on your previous research what you want to see. So a lot of times you're like, oh, I've never seen that in my research. I'm like, you may not be researching the correct words that you need to actually get the hits because the AI right. thing and this cloud <laughs> thing that I don't understand thing is actually doing the research for you without you realizing. Yes, that's so true. They they look at what you've previously searched for and they spit out the results based on what they think you're going to want to know about based on what you previously read. So um, you're you're kind of searching within your own bubble, right, at times. So you definitely, I think that is, that is a great takeaway on that point. And I think also knowing resources, just go to resources as well, um, is very important in doing research. Um, you know, you have Google, obviously, but actually having some um, resources that you can go to that have those research articles, like the ones you're referencing, um, can be just as powerful with doing your research, even more so um, powerful, rather, because you're not having to worry about algorithms and uh, what they're giving you based on what you've already read. So that is a really good point. How about coughs? I know that can be really scary, especially uh, within your first year of having a baby even um, within the second year too. What can you tell us about some holistic remedies on coughs? Um, so cough in the first, for uh, most kids, cough begins as a dry cough. We're just making a general statement. The child is healthy, they don't have any medical problems, and all of a sudden they develop this dry cough. And then the cough and it's dry and it's continuous and it's annoying and you're like, oh my gosh, like what's going on? In the first two to three days, the cough is going to be dry and annoying. Day three through five, it turns juicy. And that's when parents panic. The cough is going on forever. First of all, that's only five days. But the cough is going on forever. And now it sounds like pneumonia. Okay. Mm. No. <laughs> if the cough turns juicy, we're so pumped because now the inflammation is decreasing. And now we're actually getting the fluids out and the mucus is out and all the junk out. And then usually once the cough turns juicy, in about 48 hours to maybe a week, the cough will start going away. Of course, it depends on how you're eating, what your baseline wellness is like, what, you know, how much sugar you have in your diet or dairy, all that good stuff. Um, <clears throat> but the moral of the story is don't panic mm -hmm. if the cough goes for three days and it's dry. And then it's day, and usually it gets really worse. That's when people go to the doctor, like on day three, they're like, oh my gosh, something horrible because it's not getting better because it's not supposed to get better. The body is just mounting the inflammation. Mm -hmm. And then day three through five, we now have a juicy cough, which then 
is going to then work its way out of the system. So just not panic about that. How do you know a child is having pneumonia? Is the cough is getting worse? Mm-hmm. The juicy cough is getting worse. Now they have high fevers. They didn't have a fever before. Boom, now it's 103, 104. They're lying on the ground. They're uh, pitiful. They're not drinking. You're like, mm, that's weird. A lot of times viral illness will start with a fever at the beginning, then the dry cough, then the wet cough. Fever is gone by this point, so we know we're in smooth sailing. So that's what I always tell my parents. I'm like, if the fever comes back, we need to discuss. If the fever doesn't come back, the chances are pretty good that the cough is not pneumonia. And a normal cough can last two to three weeks without being bronchitis, without being asthma, without being anything else. It is normal to have a cough for two to three weeks, depending what virus, depending what your child is in daycare, if there's smokers around, if what their diet is like, if they're on an inflammatory diet. So there's many, again, never one thing, many pieces to the puzzle. Some holistic approaches to cough is for kids over the age of one years old, you can use raw honey. I love raw local honey. In Charlotte, we have so many options. Um, And you do a teaspoon of honey as often as they need it. And we're not going to worry about the added sugar in this case, but the honey in clinical trials was superior to Dimetap, Benadryl, or Robitussin. In fact, I was part of that clinical study, as in like I recruited people. My wow. claim to fame. Mm, that's fancy. <laughs> I love <laughs> uh, that. <laughs> another thing is do an Epsom salt bath. That is good for ages, all ages. To The Epsom salt bath helps calm the body. The magnesium relax, relaxes the airways, so decreasing the cough. And the moisture from the bath helps to uh, moisten the airway, so then we can reduce that dry, hacky cough situation nursing the baby. So if you have a toddler and you're still, and you're nursing a three month old, give breast milk to the toddler. They don't have to be on the boob, but they can have it in a cup because breast milk is, I mean, amazing with probiotics and immunoglobulins. So don't forget the power of breast milk in your toddler who might be having a cough, even though you're nursing the three month old. And um, other things, saline spray. So Exlear is one of my favorites because it has xylitol and grapefruit seed extract. Both are amazing uh, products that actually help decrease the attachment of viruses and bacteria into the sinuses to lead to a sinus infection. Wow. Thank you so much for, for that amazing tip. Um, I've heard it's really good to have that on hand for traveling as well. Is that true? Love it. Yes. I love, I love the X layer. Oh, you know, the other thing I didn't mention is kids of all ages, uh, salt rooms. Mm. Oh my gosh. And in, again, Charlotte, we have several options of salt rooms because you can take a baby of any age, child of any age to a salt room. You just hang out, hang out there for 30 minutes. The salt in the salt room actually helps loosen the mucus and decrease inflammation. And fun fact, I'm Romanian and a lot of the studies on salt rooms and the benefits mm-hmm. of salt rooms come from the salt mines in Romania. Oh, wow. You're welcome. Oh, full circle moment there. I had no idea that. I mean, I know we have a couple salt rooms around here, but I didn't realize that it was for all ages. So that's really good to know um, if we've we've got to take a swing in there um, with my children. So thank you for that. Can you give us a couple um, holistic remedies for the cold as well? The common cold can be annoying. It's just a lot of times we're like, oh my God, it's a virus. Usually when the cold kicks in for little babies, we're going to nurse them. Mama, 
take vitamin C, liposomal mm-hmm. vitamin C is my favorite because it's better absorbed. We make sure, of course, the baby or you should be on a vitamin D protocol for your provider. So even if you're not, make sure that you guys are on adequate vitamin D because that's boosts the immune system. Mm-hmm. The babies over six months old can do zinc as can toddlers. A baby is all babies should be on a probiotic from birth, whether it's a home birth, vaginal birth, C-section birth, it doesn't matter. Babies should be on a multi-strand probiotic from birth because we have seen the long-term benefits from diabetes to ADHD, neurological issues, eczema significantly uh, Im- reduce their risk of recurrent of occurrence if you're on a multi-strand probiotic from birth. So, and if you're not, make sure you're on a regular probiotic. In the older kids, over the age of one, elderberry syrup is so fabulous with Mm -hmm. local honey and cinnamon and cloves. It's not recommended for little babies because they have the honey, but there's some elderberry preparations where you can just do elderberry at your house and your Instapot and don't add any honey because of the potent antioxidant activities of elderberries and shown in the medical literature that can decrease the duration of flu and cold and also uh, prevent in some cases, some cases, not everything, can um, help prevent the occurrence of cold, especially if one person comes sick in the household using the elderberry um, or the, the vitamin C, vitamin D, zinc, all that stuff to boost everyone's immune system so we can be better defense against the common cold. Wow, wonderful. And yes, you mentioned elderberry syrup. We actually um, had uh, Stephanie Rickenbaker on here from season one from Sweet Syrup, which I'm sure you may have heard of being here in the Charlotte area. But it's it's an amazing... We have it in um, the office. Oh, there you go. <laughs> it's an oh, amazing holistic remedy. Absolutely. She's amazing. Um, so we'll be sure to, to link that episode in the show notes for our listeners as well. But thank you so much, Dr. Anna Maria, for outlining all of these amazing things. And I can only imagine how much more information you do have on that extensive list through your manual. Um, I think one of the things, uh, one of the huge takeaways from this episode, though, is just realizing how amazing the human body is and being able to support it without medicine is an option for some that we do need to realize that there, it's something that we, we, we were born with, right? Our bodies are very smart and they know how to regulate themselves most times. We just need to understand, we need to understand what we're going through first so we can then understand how to treat these things. And I, I love that you outlined some of them. Um, and I love that you also gave some wonderful nuggets for our listeners. So thank you so much for that. And for parents who are particularly first time parents, what's the most important important nugget that you feel you sh- they should know when it comes to holistic health of their babies? Well, is you set that you create the habits for the rest of their life right now. And if you want children who are going to eat vegetables, you need to be eating vegetables. If you want children who are not stressed out, you've got to work on your stress before they're born. And then as they're born and stuff, you got to keep keeping tabs on yourself. What is my stress level? What's the stress level of our house? We create, because a lot of times it's like, well, it's just the first three months. Well, it's just the first six months. And before you know it, this is like your life. And so we just be... It all begins at home. It begins with us. It is an enormous responsibility and such a blessed responsibility to be parents. But we are the CEOs. We are the leaders. We are the, 
you know, big kahunas in our households. And with that comes a lot of responsibility. So you have to eat your vegetables. You've got to control your screen time. You have to move. You have to exercise. You you have to do all those things that you hope that your children will do because you have to act like the person that you hope your children to become. Wow. Thank you so much for that. And can you tell us a little bit more about the holistic baby manual with other topics that you do cover on there? What are some other topics and um, features covered in that e-course that our listeners can look forward to when they check that out? Sure. So besides the acne and the cradle cap and the Mm -hmm. uh, thrush and constipation and ear infections, we also, a lot of parents are like, what bottle should we have? What car seat should we buy? What lotion should we put? What baby soap? You know, so we're, we have a lot of products listed in our manual. So we've cut, you know, we've vetted out all these different brands and we've done the research for you because when you're trying to go to the store and buy a baby bottle, you just, (laughs) it is overwhelming. And what do I buy? So not, so we have a lot of products in there to help yours you navigate better. We give you nutrition tips for nursing mamas, for six-month-olds, for one-year-olds. So we help you on the nutrition journey as well. We give you formula suggestions. We give you nursing suggestions, troubleshoot nursing, sleep, uh, bathing, all the newborn stuff. What's up with the cord? What's up with, you know, um, I'm trying to think like b- besides your infections, sunscreens, bug sprays, what happened, first aid stuff, like what happens if they get bitten by a bug, what happens if they, obviously in the older manual, if they lose a tooth, if they hit their head, if, you know, all the stuff, so then you can be prepared. And then, you know, one manual, you open it up, you scroll down to the chapter you need, and you're like, boom, there it is. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds amazing. And you have a couple other courses um, that you offer, as well as a book. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. Um, in one of the, a lot of people are like, Oh, I bought the baby book because I hope, was hoping you tell me about eczema in it. We do a little bit, but eczema is such a involved and intricate treatment plan that mm-hmm. I actually have a separate course for that. That's the eczema transformation program. And that is online. It's a six month program. I would love to tell you that eczema turns around in two days. It doesn't. And we do it from a holistic approach. And I'm actually, you get to see me every Thursday at two o'clock on Facebook live for the six months. That's 24 group visits with me and weekly my health coach when because we do eliminations of food and stuff like that and so I have my health coach who also shows up every Wednesday at 2 p.m and does lives and gets questions from all the mamas so we can help you on this journey it's a very difficult journey I wish I could just put in a pdf and say go um, and then I have the kid manual and the kid manual is going to be for the kids at one years and older because they have mm-hmm. you know the toddlers the teenagers even the adults can use the teenager advice and you can fix your migraines and headaches and all this other stuff that happens Mm -hmm. with teenagers and teenagers. We have, you know, products for deodorants and tampons and pads and things that, Mm -hmm. again, we do also products and some things so we can make your life a little easier. And then, oh, my book, you would think I'm, I should be a better at sales. So I have my best-selling book is, uh, well, actually it's right here. I found it. It's Healthy Kids in Non-Healthy Worlds. 
and it's a bestseller. And in it is my whole family's journey. And it's a reference manual. It's all bullet points. So I wrote it with the, in my head. I was like, I want a mom of four who has a part-time job and is trying to do homemade meals. She can go like this. Let me read a chapter. And in three minutes, she can read, you can read a chapter. And then you're like, I got my takeaways. I highlighted what I needed, made a couple of notes. And now this is my reference manual. At the beginning of every chapter, there's a story about how we overcame plastic, how we overcame, you know, goldfish, how we tackled the toothbrush and the fluoride and how do we choose sunscreens and what happened when we try to change to more, you know, natural sunscreens in my house. So a little bit of humor before we get into the bullet points, but you walk Mm -hmm. away with a tip at the end of each chapter, one tip that you can begin that day because amazing changes happen with small steps. I love that. Thank you so much for outlining your book. We'll be sure to link that in the show notes. And where can we follow you for updates? Well, one place you can follow me is actually at Costco, Walmart, and Target, where I shop every Sunday for you guys, because I show you that wellness does not have to be more expensive. And I show you how to choose the right product. If you're in Charlotte and you see me at Costco in this green shirt that I'm always wearing, videotaping myself, I'm doing a YouTube video. <laughs> anyway, but you can follow me on Instagram, Dr. Anna Maria Temple, same handle for YouTube. And now I'm on TikTok. They made me go on TikTok. Um, to, oh, really? I'm trying to figure out how to help everyone in whatever genre and whatever medium you like to show you how to feed your children, to help inspire, empower, educate families to raise healthy kids in this unhealthy world. Wonderful. Well, Dr. Anna Maria, thank you so much for joining us and sharing these amazing nuggets for these common baby ailments. And we'll be sure to link all the information referenced today in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This was wonderful. To learn more about Dr. Anna Maria's holistic baby manual and more, please see the show notes. Do you have some fellow mom friends or caregivers that would appreciate more guidance or a holistic perspective in addressing one of the common ailments we discussed? This is your moment to be the village for them and share this expert information on some of these holistic remedies. And if you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us on The Momologist.